The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Welcome along. Thanks for joining us for episode 32 of The Boys of Tech for Monday the 31st of August 2009. Coming us through Skype to host the show with me is Brett King. Welcome. Howdy. Brett, who's been spending a week indulging in fantastic food and whatnot. Yep, yep. Didn't you go to a, a buffet meal just over the weekend? I did. A friend of mine had a birthday dinner and it was at a buffet at the James Cook and all you can eat and it was really good. Oh, Stuffed yum. myself quite full. I understand they do a good Thai beef salad, right? They do a brilliant Thai beef salad. It is all beef. It's great. <laughs> all beef. Yeah, none of that. None of that um green that stuff green that stuff. they put in salads. <laughs> what, you <mean> the stuff <laughs> that makes it out? <laughs> the stuff that makes it a salad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, yes. None of that stuff. That sounds yum. Oh. Uh, it was really, really good. Tell you what, did you get your uh, two degrees SIM card this week? Uh no. Did you apply? Uh no. Uh you had to be did quick. You? Yeah, I did. You uh-huh. can find me now on O two two O two Edwin. Ooh. <laughs> you get to choose and now your the world knows you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now the world knows that they can call you. Well, if they want to ring the number and pay whatever it costs, that's fine by me. I can. You can change. This is a neat thing about about two degrees. You can mm-hmm. change your number at any time. Really? There is one catch. The first mm-hmm. time is free. From then after, it's five bucks. But you know, you can give out. You, you can. It's basically a disposable number. You give it out if you get annoying calls or direct marketers. Just change your number. They're awesome. Mm, okay, it's five bucks, but you know what's that these days? Oh, yeah, precisely. And but you just hope you don't plan on doing it too often. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of the a lot of the premium numbers were were reserved. Numbers like O two two Builder that they were all they'd reserved those, and also nice numerical ones like O two 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 zero two 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 and stuff like that. The numbers I looked for. I went through about seven or eight numbers before I settled on 02202 Edwin. Mm-hmm. And the, some of the numbers, which I thought no one else would think of, yeah. were gone. Numbers like Pi, 022 <laughs> Who would have thought that? And then the Fibonacci series, 022-011-2358, gone. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, and also the square root of 2, 1412, whatever it is, that was gone as well. Yeah. These mathematical numbers, they, I'm not sure whether those ones, two degrees reserved, or whether someone else similarly minded took it. I don't know. I should yeah, ring and find out. You should. <laughs> ring, ring 022 pi. <laughs> <laughs> That's just an awesome number, though. It would be. It would be an awesome number. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, it took me a while to, to find what I did, and that's what I settled on. So there you go. Uh, mm-hmm. If a few people got in there with these, uh, some you had to be really quick to register on the site. I think, to be honest, I I just stumbled on it by chance. I understand that the registration period was very short, but yeah. I remember you know hearing about it in the news, and I thought oh, I'd go to the website see what's there, and I I saw a big banner going you know get your two dollar SIM card for free here, and you, know, you get free two dollar credit on it, and I yeah. thought oh well I'll fill in, my, fill in my details. What's there to lose? There yeah. we go. 
So I'm now on on two degrees. Ah. Mm. So anyway, uh, <laughs> we should kick off the show, really, shouldn't we? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Instead of talking about restaurants and cell phones. So did you get a cell phone with it, or is it just the SIM card? Oh, no, it was just a I had a cell phone. Anyway, we'll kick off the show. In fact, one of the most surprising stories was Bing doing a licensing deal with Wolfram Alpha. Ah, yeah, no. That was quite a shock. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that says Wolfram Alpha is going to go with Google. I mean, no one says that, but I kind of imagined that that would happen because that's kind of along those sort of lines. <laughs> Don't you think? It's a googly type thing. It is. It is. But, you know, Google likes to make these things themselves. So. Well, actually, that's true. I haven't heard of a lot of Google working with other groups to do stuff together sort of thing. Is more Google does its things and puts them out. Yeah, actually, that's true. They, they kind of do do their own homegrown everything, don't they? But yeah, it kind of surprised me nevertheless anyway that they that Bing, which is Microsoft, did a deal with Wolfram Alpha. So mm. the idea is that, you know, when you're doing searches through Bing, depending on what it is you're searching, if you're searching things that Wolfram Alpha might be able to answer, like, you know, scientific data or, you know, capital of or statistics, things like that, mm-hmm. that uh, some of those search results will be populated by Wolfram Alpha. And that's part of the deal. The details are confidential. No one knows how much it's worth, but... yeah. It's a deal. Yeah, and a, a brilliant deal for Microsoft. A good coup for Microsoft, uh, a good coup for Bing. Bing, as we've reported on several other occasions, has, at least by the current statistics, been making a good headway into the, the search market. It's had a, a, a strong opening. Yeah, they've done really well so far. Yep, yep. And this is just another thing to help them try to wrestle some of some more of that search market away from Google. Yeah, well, it saves them having to do their own Wolfram Alpha type, you know, intelligent search, data yeah. search, or whatever you want to call it. What do you call that? There must be a name for that. Well, it, 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 yeah, the Wolfram Alpha does data crunching and... Computation and... Computations, st- But also yes. statistics. It's also to do with drawing statistics as well. It's... I, mm. I don't. Re- I never know how to describe this thing. You know, when you're talking to people and they, you know, they say, "Wolfram Alpha, what are you talking about?" And you yeah. kind of say, "Well, it, it's like a search engine, but it's not a search engine. It's for things that it knows answers to already, and which doesn't really make much sense." But that's all I can say. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a yeah, computational thing. <laughs> it's kind of I, hard to describe. It is. It's very hard to describe. It is a search engine that isn't a search engine. <laughs> yeah. It answers questions it's for you. Question it's I a guess question it's an- answerer. You give it a question and then it will work those things out. How about an answer bank lookup system? Kind know. of. <laughs> 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 or a knowledge somebody will have to come up with a new a new catch all phrase for this sort of thing yeah there needs to be a buzzword for this it's just crying out for for the need for a buzzword it is crying out for a buzzword well anyway this will be good for for microsoft and it'll it'll make some money for wolfram there'll be money in it for wolfram somehow yeah well i think it'll put output from wolfram in front of more faces because it, as you said it's a lot of people you know uh, aren't 100% sure of what it Wolfram Alpha actually does because they've said they're not a search engine and so a lot of people wouldn't use it because of that but now it's going to get more traffic coming through from Bing 
In fact, so, when was the last time you used Wolfram Alpha? I've never actually used Wolfram Alpha. <laughs> well, there you go. And I, I'd say, I think that supports your point. I think a lot of people are, are in the same boat. They, Well, they may have tried it like myself, for example. I tried it a few times, you know, around launch time. And I've mm-hmm. kind of forgotten about it. I just, it doesn't really feature in my radar. Yeah, yeah. Fact, unless it's, it's something that, unless it becomes a tool that you use often because that's the sort of searches or that's the sort of information you need. You need questions answered, mathematical formulas worked out, later stock prices or, or all of the stuff that Wolfram Alpha serves up to you. If you don't need that often, then you, yeah, Wolfram Alpha probably won't appear on your radar. In fact, I think the best form of Wolfram Alpha is, in fact, incorporated in an existing search engine because that's where people do go. Exactly. So I think this is probably the best thing for Wolfram Alpha. That's, I that's, think so. In fact, that's what it really should be. It shouldn't be a standalone thing because people are never going to go there. Well, unless they need to use it. Uh, and like I'm sure there is a segment. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's a segment of the markets, you know, businesses, science, who would use it as a, a you know, maybe not a core tool, but a supplemental tool to their daily work. But for the vast majority of the internet-going populace, probably not quite so needed or necessary. But by having this deal with Bing, it means that their results, their content gets to be seen by a much larger market. So It's a very powerful tool, that Wolfram Alpha. Mm. It does have a few issues interpreting input, apparently, and they're working on that, trying to get that a little bit better uh, or a little more forgiving, let's say. Yeah. Now, it seems people are ganging up on Google. Microsoft and Amazon have joined in opposition to Google Books, uh, well, the Google Books settlement deal. Yeah, yeah. Google's having, um, well, Google Books is having a tough time of it. But does that surprise you? Uh, not really, not really. The settlement which Google Books came up with is quite, you know, it's it's very contentious. There's a, a lot in it that a lot of people, you know, don't like. The thing that gets me is it seemed to me that Google just went ahead and scanned all these books without actually doing any form of a deal first. And it was only afterwards when technically the the breach of copyright had been made because let's face it, at the time, that's what, it, in fact, until now, until there's a settlement, that's still what it is. Yeah. That, it, that seems to me no surprise that people are, look, the, the analogy I use is this. If I was to walk into, a, into the supermarket and grab a few items, put it in my shopping basket and walk out to the car without paying... Of course, people, the, you know, the shop assistants and the security are going to come after me saying, hey, you haven't paid for those. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'll do your deal later on. I mean, mm-hmm. this, you can't do that. Yeah, they did, they so did can do this, a bit do of the this, sneaky yeah. uh, in that first part, ignoring those things and going, well, we're going to work out a deal afterwards. So we, we may as well. We may as well not let it slow us down. They did start off on that foot, which probably wasn't a good you know, public relations way to do it with the publishing industry. Because just like the other big content industries, the uh, publishing industry is very protective of intellectual property and copyright. The thing is, I think it's a good thing to have these books scanned and, and available, but you have to remember that there are content owners, there are rights owners yeah, yeah. So, I completely agree with you there. It is a brilliant thing having this stuff available. It's a repository of, you know, stuff that's out of print. Things that, unless you had bought that 
book 20 years ago when it was last published, then, you know, you're never going to get access to it again because it's not in print and it probably won't ever come back in print. But through this, through Google Books, with their scanning and providing it available, it means you can. You can, a new, you know, new generations of people will be able to read books which have not been in print for many years and whose copies are incredibly difficult to come by. So I think it's a, you know, it's a win situation for information, getting that information, getting those books into people's, you know, into people's minds. I wouldn't want to see that go away. It's, you know, it's all well and good, copyright owners and those sorts of things saying, we want to stop you doing this for a book which we have not published in 20 years. And we just don't want you to do it. <laughs> well, the thing like, is, it is, it is their choice. It's not Google's choice. Oh, it's not Google's choice. Do that's, that, a bit I, that's why Google came up with these arrangements and created and got its deal with the publishing industry to produce this and then, you know, have certain rules about who got access to it and how they got access to it. And then it, you know, it allows those out of print books to be available and revenue from the, that new availability of those out of print books going back to the rights owners. So yeah, in fact, the deal does look pretty good for yeah. you know, if you're a if you're a rights owner, you'd be a fool not to take them up on the deal. Really, that's what it comes down to. They you get a good cut, and let's face it, you get a cut of of something that would otherwise really not exist anymore because it's out of print. Exactly. It's the, the, right hold, the rights holders aren't getting any income from that out-of-print material. And with that out-of-print material being available electronically online, they will suddenly be getting income again from material which maybe wouldn't make another hard copy print run. So why is Microsoft, Yahoo and Amazon ganging up against Google? Is it because they wanted to do the same thing? It's because... The details of the settlement are quite in favor of Google, <laughs> and some of the wording of it does seem to imply that Google has a little more power over, the, over this content than in a non-monopolistic environment. Well, if there's something in there that's particularly favorable for Google, maybe that's the reason why they just plowed on ahead, because that was kind of their, their hope all along, that this would pull through. Yeah, indeed. So maybe that's and why they, they just went ahead and sought to do a deal later rather than the other way yep. around. Yeah, precisely. And jumping on it before anybody else did, getting their foot. Yeah, because they were, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And also, let's face it, if anyone can come up with a technique for scanning books that are, you know, with p curved pages, we're talking about physical books here, Yeah, it would be Google, wouldn't it? In fact, yeah, we covered that story, I think. We did indeed. We covered oh, well their... They're quite ingenious scanning system. But yes, there's no wonder that other people, um, other organizations have ganged up on them. With Google being basically the, the, the gatekeeper of all of this information, there's nobody else who can provide it. So you can't just, you know, either use Google's book library or the other book library held by Microsoft or produced by Microsoft or Amazon. It is just based on the settlement, it is Google. And so Google does have a monopoly there. And so there are a lot of legitimate concerns 
from the industry, from the publishing industry, the rights owners, and other media providers. So it'll be interesting to see how it turns out because of the depth of this subject, this content, this information, stuff which, you know, I like information to be out there and available. And with out-of-print books, it's so hard when... Have you ever um, wanted to read a novel and you found, you know, the first and the third book of the novel series in the library, but nobody's got the second? <laughs> yeah, that's that's frustrating. Very frustrating. So this, <laughs> this would be a solution to that problem, you know, to people in that situation. Mm. Well, to all of those books that have, you know, been out of print for ages that there's whole new generations of people who would probably love these books but they just don't get a chance to read them because they're so hard to find well google's not the only one playing around in the book space we've got sony doing something rather ingenious with lending ebooks yes they announced at a press event hosted at the new york public library that they've partnered with a company that provides electronic books to libraries and there will be a service through the Sony ebook store that you will be able to put in your zip code or location of your local library. And if your local library is hooked up to this service and provides electronic books, you will be able to loan out electronic loan out those electronic books that your library has through the Sony service and download them onto your ebook reader where you will have them for, I think, what is it, about 21 days or so to read them before they disappear. And it's all part of uh, a set of announcements that Sony had in the the field of ebooks. They've announced a, a, a bunch of new ebook readers, including a, a really flash new one which has 3G capabilities to connect to mobile broadband. So, yeah, really exciting. And the, the fact that they're adopting the, you know, XML-based EPUB format for books, which means that you will be able to use your ebook, your Sony ebook reader, to read ebooks that you've gotten from other uh, online ebook sellers, not just Sony. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do versus what Google is doing because they both have this thing about books, right? Mm. And... Uh, you know, did, did Google already has. Does Google offer ebooks? Well, well, they, apart from what the well, scanning. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, they 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 offer the 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 Google Books um, as we were talking about just before, and the the Sony system will allow you to access the public domain works from Google Books itself. Oh, that's interesting. So, so that's pretty yeah. neat there. So uh, this this whole thing, this whole notion, could really change the way libraries operate in the future. It could well be lending books electronically. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good thing for libraries. I think it's a good thing for books. I think I've, I was talking to you over lunch previously about how no matter how big and good electronic books get, I would never want to see you know the actual physical book go away because uh, I'm a big fan of real you know wood pulp paper books. Uh, but for a whole heap of information, especially that stuff, you know, out of print information, reference materials, just quick reading, having it available electronically and the ease of access to it electronically that services like this can offer, I think is a brilliant thing. 
Oh, the, absolutely. It has its uses, but you're hardly going to curl up, as you said, on the couch with an ebook reader for a couple of hours reading your favourite novel. It's just, it's not the same, is it? So, no. Yeah, it, but it has its uses. And as you say, you know, if you need some reference material that you know your library's got and you want to just flick through a few books, well, why not loan them electronically and you don't have to go down there? Yeah. And also, there'll be no late fees because it self-destructs in 21 days. Yep. That's the book, of course, not the reader. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's an Apple one with a lithium-ion battery. <laughs> and then it, it may self-destruct. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, actually, I think they were probably Sony batteries, so watch out. Don't drop these either. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Gosh, libraries are really having to face a huge amount of change in the last well, in the last 10 years, if you look at what's been happening. Less and less space dedicated to physical books, more and more space to you know, for computers and internet and so on. And yep. now we're seeing additional services like being able to lend books electronically remotely yep. uh, from the library uh, straight onto your ebook reader at home. Yeah, yeah, it is it is um a, a changing world for the library services. But as you say, you really don't want to get rid of no, pulp no, ink. No. You can't beat a real book. Absolutely. It's <laughs> there's something about it when you're holding that book it's the you it's the physical nature of it. Yeah, it's it's we're very touchy feely we human beings and all of our words about you know to describe emotions and to describe things that you enjoy are all about, you know, you've got your feelings, you like to embrace things, you want to get a hold of it, you know, you got to grab it. It's all stuff to do with touch, the physical world. And that's what's helps create those emotional bonds to different things, which is why you'll never be able to do the same thing with an electronic book that you could with a real physical paper book. I think you're spot on. There's, there's definitely something about the senses there that we rely on our touch senses and other senses as well a lot mm. more than we realize. And as you say, you know, reading ink on pulp, is it's a very different feeling to reading something on the screen, which is... yes. It's just so much colder, you know. You don't, you can't really engage as much when it's on the screen. It just doesn't feel the same. It's less. No, no, yeah. It, it does personal. feel more, yeah, less a personal. lot less personal. Mm. Mm. Although the the thing that scares me a little bit is perhaps we could get rid of ink and pulp, and simply people would know no different. So people wouldn't know what it is like to to get so engrossed in books. So when they get engrossed in a in an ebook. Uh, it's it's pretty good for them because that's all they know. They've got nothing to compare it against. Yeah, but I think it'll, I think we, it'll be a sad day for humanity if that when that happens. If that happens, oh, I agree. And you may it may well never happen. I mm. and I hope hope we're both right that it doesn't happen. Yeah. Now Apple is uh, <laughs> Apple's snow leopard has been inspected a little bit, and what people have found, people have been poking and prodding it and looking under the bonnet and whatnot, and what they found. Uh, well, obviously, apart from the changes that Apple have announced, one of the new features in there appears to be a malware protection system. Yes, they've um, actually built one directly into the operating system. It's a first for Apple. It is. <laughs> you know, Apple are the ones going around with these ads saying, don't buy a PC because you're going to get viruses. There's malware. You have to be careful when you're on a PC. You can't just browse the web. It's a dangerous place. And here they are now... Pretty much they're admitting that you know, Macs are just as vulnerable as PCs, so you need some protection, mm-hmm. which is kind of a bit of a paradigm shift for them. It's interesting because for a long time, they they really 
pretended that viruses and malware didn't exist. Didn't exist for the Max. And it was more of that security by obscurity. Yeah. It's like the PC market had taken off so massively compared to the Mac that for a while there, it was that the if the viruses and the malware uh, out there only affected PCs. But it's not the case now with the market share of Apple increasing and the popularity of its devices that the, the popularity of malware and viruses for Apple products has increased as well. So this scanning engine apparently detects two different pieces of malware at the moment and that's the only two it detects. But there's speculation that the you know that Apple will eventually release updates and new definitions for it. So you know, as as more and more malware becomes apparent, so it's kind of like uh, Windows Defender. Yeah, I, I guess it which, is, which already exists in, in yeah. you know Microsoft's in Windows. I I, I guess it is. It's uh, Apple's it's, version of the malware defender. I will say one thing that Apple have done quite differently to Microsoft, and that is they're getting in there early enough. They haven't waited until the problem is too big a problem. Yeah, until the problem is so large, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they got in early. Uh, they, they, you know, I mean, it's hindsight, of course, because you know, back in the early days of Windows, who would have really known what the internet would do to, you know, f- for the world of viruses and make things so much worse for them? Yeah. But, and you know, I guess using that hindsight to their advantage, it's the, it's the right thing to do. Pop some protection into the Mac early on might help their cause. Mm. I'll have to check it out when I get my copy of Snow Leopard. Now, it appears that the people may have spotted the Loch Ness Monster on Google Earth. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a picture of it. You can go to the site and it shows you a picture of the Loch Ness Monster from Google Satellite Pictures. Have you had a look at that? I have. And strangely enough, it looks oddly like a boat with a wake. Really? Yeah, but that's the, what the, I reckon. I it's reckon the first it's a, thing I thought when I saw that. I was like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a satellite picture of a boat. Neat. And then I saw that it was, you know, <laughs> the, the headline was Loch Ness Monster on Google Earth. I was like, what? It, 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 looks, looks, like like a a, it looks like a monster swimming in the opposite direction, doesn't it? It's got a you know, long neck and then it's two flippers in the front and a couple of side flippers. I don't know about the rear ones. Maybe you can't see those. It's, it's a monster. No. You have a look at the other photos from the same area of the actual boats and wakes, and you know the the photos show the boats, the other boats moving significantly faster. So they've got a much larger wake. But when you think of the boat slowing down a bit, the wake would decrease around it, and then you get this little boat-shaped picture with its little wake waves coming off the end and the little trailing bit coming out. I think it's a boat. <laughs> well, look, truth be known, I can't... Sorry, I can't believe that it's the Loch Ness Monster. Well, truth be known, I can't keep my argument up because really I'm playing devil's advocate, as you well know. Of course it's a boat. I agree. It's a boat. I, you know, I can't boat. actually believe that this is a story because, look, I, I'm the same as you. As soon I saw the photo first, my eyes went straight to the photo and I saw a boat. Yep. It's a boat. <laughs> it's a boat. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's really a non-story. It is. It, oh, oh, you know, it's one of those fun things that the internet brings to the world. <laughs> it's news purely because of its randomness. People probably wish it was. In fact, uh, in a oh, way, I kind of wish it was the monster. Well, yeah, you'd think with the, the, the satellites passing over the planets so often that some of these things would get seen 
a little more often. Yeah, and didn't did they, nowadays? Didn't they also send down search submarines and all sorts with radar and sonar and? I've done all sorts, all of, sorts of things. Of stuff. Looking there's for nothing Nessie. there. They still haven't found it. That's because Nessie lives in that cave under that ruined castle. Oh, is that why? Yeah, and Nessie also has a um a telescope, so it can tell when the satellites going over top. <laughs> Just she's like Area Fifty One. Yep, yep. She's very clued up as that Loch Ness monster. Mm. I'm sure she's got a website too. <laughs> yeah, well, tell you what, let's try LochNessMonster.com. I'm sure there's something there. <laughs> you never know. Nessie might be on Facebook. <laughs> she might be tw- twittering. <laughs> she could be. <laughs> Actually, LochNessMonster.com is just an ad site, so don't go there. But uh, yeah. <laughs> It's, it is a fun story to talk about. Mm. Anyway, I'll tell you what is kind of cool. That is real this time. And then it's a Japanese have created a teddy bear robot. <laughs> They've created a giant teddy bear. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's essentially what it is. Um, I'll add a little bit more to, to set some context. The idea is they've developed a robot to help elderly patients who you know can't get around too much or are not so mobile to help them get in you know in and out of wheelchairs and in and out of bed. It basically lifts them up like a person would. The idea is if you can get a robot to do it, not a person, why not? Yeah, yeah. It it also I think is is a a, a brilliant tool because there are a lot of occupational safety and health issues for nurses and orderlies, you know, having to do that physical heavy lifting. Uh and some patients um, you know, can, you know, the, the world is getting larger. <laughs> that, that's true, shall I say? And yeah, having a assistive devices like this to help lift people is they've they've been around for ages but this is probably the most unique one I have ever seen well only the Japanese (laughs) could ever come up with something like this for real only the Japanese would ever turn it into a giant teddy bear (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) yeah that thing weighs 400 pounds which is 180 kgs that's uh, it is it's yeah (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's great. If you if you have time, um, you know, on the, on the net, just spend a few minutes searching that story. It's a it's a good fun read, and also there's some there's a YouTube a couple of YouTube videos you can look up as well. Yeah, it's a brilliant thing. Um, yeah, all credit to the the, the creators of it. It's it's going to do a lot of good for a lot of people when it finally gets to market. You know, it gets out there and is used. But yeah, it's. <laughs> Actually, the the Japanese, I think, uh, recently had a robot that that could run. Did you see that they they developed a robot? You know, walking robots, humanoid walking robots have been around for a while now. But yeah, yeah. getting them to run is very very difficult. There's all these balance issues and acceleration to take into account oh. and forces. Oh, precisely. Very yeah, very it's... difficult. And they've managed to do one. It can basically you know do a short sprint and stop again, and it can jog on the spot. It's That's amazing. Cool. This isn't, this yeah, is so not- if you if you want to really study robots and robotics, then Japan is the place to be. Well, they they've got huge you know expos dedicated to that kind of stuff. They're, yeah, they're really into those things. Well, I tell you what, um, giant. <laughs> I I gotta laugh when I say this. I'm sorry, but <laughs> giant <laughs> giant nurse teddy bear robots. On that note, I think we'll we'll end the show. Indeed, and I, for one, <laughs> welcome our giant teddy bear robots overlords when they finally rise up and take over the world. <laughs> I, robot, all over again. <laughs> all righty, um, we'll take, let's tell you what, we'll, we'll, before we do wrap up, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with our New Zealand story in just a short while. Don't go away. 
Welcome back. An unsigned New Zealand singer might have a big break now. She's been noticed via her MySpace page by an LA producer who wants her to fly to LA and cut a demo CD. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Dreams do come true for people. (laughs) It's the miracles of the internet. Yeah, I mean, her name's Whitney Irwin. Uh, She's got a a MySpace page. She's got a Twitter account as well. Mm-hmm. And it was her MySpace page and she you know, she put demos on there and she thought it was a hoax at first when she got this email from this LA producer. But, you know, she did a bit of research. Turns yeah. out to be legit. And she's flying out, I think, I think it's uh, Monday, today. Yes. She flies out to, to the States to, to cut a demo CD. Now, she, she does... You know, she has said, "Look, you know, I haven't made it yet, and this may, ev- this nothing may eventuate out of this, but mm-hmm. this is an opportunity of a lifetime." Yeah, yeah. So you know, she, you know, there's good opportunities there for her. And- Indeed, and it's it just goes to show you that you know you're always hearing the bad sides of social networking. They're in the news because you know. Bad things have been organized by people on them or, you know, bullying, cyberbullying, rampant through social networking websites and those sorts of things. It's good to see some of the more positive sides from this global access to information, being able to put yourself out there. And this is it. As a, a music producer from a country across the world, how, you know, browsing the internet comes across, discovers a talent, and bing, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. It just goes to show the, the power of MySpace. And as you said, it's these are the positive stories that, that often go a little bit unnoticed. So yeah. good good luck to her. All the best. And uh, yeah, All we, the best for her, definitely. Hmm. So Whitney Irwin. And in fact, Whitney Houston, in case you're wondering, is one of her influences. Then I think, I think that's, that concludes our show. That's it. Episode it number 32. Yes, episode number 32. All right, let's wrap this up. Thank you very much, Brett, for hosting the show with me once again. It's always a pleasure, Edwin. And thank you all for taking the time to join us for episode 32 of The Boys of Tech. Take care. See you later.